Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Great guest on the episode today. We have singer, songwriter, guitarist, and YouTuber Mary Spender. She is excellent. She's awesome. And it was a really great talk. Because we have a musician on, we will let the theme song play out a little bit so you can hear that theme song by neil brooks he did all of the music he's a very talented musician i just want you to hear this excellent dude we've got some fun news for you i'm going to be teaching a class i'm going to be teaching it online through the alchemy comedy theater which is my and girlfriend of the show justina's old theater it's where we met it's an online stand-up class. If you go to alchemycomedy.com slash classes, link in bio, you can find it. It's online stand-up 503, and it's a, it's going to be a fun class. going to be a good time. There is a prerequisite, though. You have to have some long-form improv comedy training, basically the core curriculum at a theater. And uh, that starts on Monday, September 28th, so... Check it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a six-week class, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that. Well, on to today's guest. We have a really smashing conversation. Is that pandering? I think it is. But it is a really great chat about music and her YouTube and more. So check it all out. It's a really great conversation. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Mary Spender. So you are first and foremost a singer-songwriter. Uh, and you've been playing guitar since you were 12 or 13? Yes. Yeah. You you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a little research uh, before I jumped on. I didn't want to ask you the same boring questions you always get asked. I, I did read that you... Was your first guitar Pacifica or was it a Squire? Uh, it was a Pacifica 112, yeah. I've still got it, actually. I've got it in my studio with me right now. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, a lot of people hear Squire a lot for a good, good first guitar. You had a not great experience with the Squire. I, did you test one? And you were just like, ah, I don't really like the way this feels. Um, I can't quite remember. I think I saw the, the reason I started the guitar in the first place and then got drawn to the electric was because I saw a boy at school. Um, he'd just been given. I guess it was a, you know, I, I sort of um, assume it was a red squire. Um, to me, it looked gorgeous and it looked like a, a fender, you know, like a I, I just sort of didn't know the difference um, and saw that. But then when I went to uh, Percy Pryor's, which no longer exists, it's a different kind of music store now uh, in Salisbury, where I grew up, this one, the Pacifica 112 just sort of... Um, I don't know. It just looked really cool to me. And it was kind of like an alternative body shape. It was a bit more sort of jagged and uh, it didn't look like everyone else's guitar. And it was kind of like this matte wood finish. Okay. So 
it just sort of made me look a bit different. I think that's kind of a common theme with my my guitar collection, but um, it was kind of like plain enough that uh, it sort of, I don't know, it sort of stood out in comparison to other people getting shiny, fancy stuff. I don't know really what I'm, what I was thinking. You <laughs> <laughs> know, I, I got a Squire a little over 10 years ago and, um, you know, and, and since I've heard that Pacificas are, have a lot of cred for being a good first guitar. Um, but at the time I didn't know about them. I think Ibanez no. has a good reputation as well. Squires, yeah. I learned the hard way at the time, at least for 10 years ago, not really the best, uh, first guitar. They've, they've improved a lot since. Yeah, they have improved a lot. I, I mean, I can't quite remember the state of them 10 years ago, but, um, yeah, I mean, nowadays you can get extraordinary things across the board for for yeah. very little money in comparison to what was available ten or you know fifteen years ago when I started, um, or maybe a little longer now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the squires, it's sort of it's sort of dependent on each guitar as well, so that's the difficulty. And then yeah, like ten years ago, fifteen years ago, we were limited to what was available in store, whereas now people have the internet and then you have all those reviews and then you have like YouTube channels dedicated to finding your first guitar and um sort of yeah, demoing it for you and sort of just taking a lot of the um problems out of the equation. And then, you know, hopefully people are ending up with the better thing and that also means that companies are trying to improve their low-end guitars because they need to be good now like there's no excuse (laughs) oh yeah a good guitar i've heard a lot of people say a good guitar that you enjoy to pick up and play will help your growth so much and that's the experience i had because, uh, well, the, that's not the the opposite. The, the thing that makes that statement true is the experience I had because that Squire I had is the only electric guitar I've owned. I just recently bought one, a, a new gu- electric guitar after a long time not playing. And I think what sort of aided in my stopping was the fact that I didn't enjoy playing that Squire that I had. So I, I spent a lot of years not having a guitar, not playing. Because I had one that I didn't enjoy to pick up. Um, I can't wait yeah. till the one I got comes in. But So what have you bought? I bought a GNL Special Edition Legacy Tribute and uh, from Sweetwater.com since I'm in America. Sorry, Andertons. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wanted to buy a guitar from Andertons, but Sweetwater had, had a nice deal uh, mm-hmm. um, this summer, and that was just it just made the most sense for me to go there with it. But um, (laughs) I fell in love with Anderton's YouTube page when I started researching guitars. And I have to say you, your, your YouTube page I found because it, it came up as something I might be interested in because I was looking at so many Anderton videos. (laughs) And the reason I was looking at so many Anderton videos is because when I was researching what guitar to get they just had the best information to to go with on youtube so i yeah, looked at a bunch I'm, of their videos and then i saw yours and and you and and they and some instagram accounts like horace Bray's or emily c browning's really inspired me to want to play again uh and and kept that drive going and i think that's that's playing a big part in why i recently bought a, a new electric guitar so thank you for that inspiration 
Well, you're welcome. Um, I obviously can't take credit for what Andertons have, have done. But yeah, they gave me a, an opportunity when I was, you know, at the start of my YouTube channel, like it was on, I think it was on 3000 subscribers and they invited me on and I did uh, sort of like a mini series with them in 2017 and then um, got to sort of reunite last summer. But yeah, they've just they've killed it. It's it's um, awesome to see what they've done. And they just pump out so many videos. I cannot keep up. Um, but just so much information, so much information, so much knowledge there. And um, yeah, and, and they don't even rely on people buying from Andertons. They're just like, you know, this is a great guitar, buy it from anywhere. But, you know, if you want to support, obviously, their, their uh, English shop, um, then by all means. And obviously, I know that they deliver all over the world. But yeah, I mean, it's just impressive for guitar stores obviously were just so limited for so long and then when the internet happened and when youtube happened they were some of them just you know they were not necessarily imaginative enough to think about youtube um but yeah andertons were so good on them yeah yeah good on them um i i love their videos they're so great and i recently i haven't i haven't watched yet just today i saw that you were uh, in the Captain Meets series, you did that uh, once, yeah. and uh, and so I have to, I have that saved for me to watch later. I think there are two episodes now, actually. Um, one at the very very beginning, and then one last year. So there's a there's a little bit of a a change. Oh, <laughs> nice! All right, I have to check both of those out. That's yeah. the thing. I I end up doing a deep dive. I've done a deep dive. Uh, somewhat on your page on YouTube and theirs as well. And there's always new stuff to discover because there's so many pages out there, so much out there. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you've been doing your YouTube channel. Well, when did it officially start? Because there isn't an 11 year old video on there, but it looks like <sighs> you started regularly posting four and a half years ago. Yes, though there are some uh, videos that are now private uh, for many reasons. Okay. Um, just because they're just so embarrassing. I think I actually did. Uh, I think I did sort of without sort of telling everybody. Obviously, I think I unprivated a very, very old video just to show people how far I've come. Because I think, you know, people do like seeing that journey, too. And I think I was like 17, 18 when I recorded this little video. And um, yeah, I've been posting regularly since, uh, I guess, sort of like the first quarter of uh, 2017. Um, before that, I did know I wanted to post regularly, but it takes, um, I mean, it obviously takes a lot of discipline to be able to do that. But then also you kind of need to feel like it's working. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in 2016, in December of 2016, I was like, I really need to figure out how to release and upload really quickly um, just for my own sake and just as an education. So I did a, I did a series. I can't quite remember. I think it was called Daily Shred. <laughs> um, and uh, I sort of did like a little snippet of me playing guitar or singing. I think maybe it was just guitar um, every day for 25 days. And that kind of made me realize that you can, although it was small, you can build a community because people started waiting and they started waiting for the upload. At, I think it was like 8 a.m. UK time. And I just had like two or three people just being like, can't wait for tomorrow. And I was like, oh, OK. Um, 
And that kind of kicked it off. And then I went to NAMM 2017 and had a lot of vloggy footage from that convention and and just sort of ended up putting it out. But I, instead of putting it out in within four days, I put it out over the next four weeks. And that kind of made me sort of realize how to um, get enough content so that you can plan um, ahead. However, still haven't learned my own lesson and still very last minute because a week goes very quickly still after, you know, three, three solid years of posting. Right. <laughs> but it is smart to, especially for an event like that, to have maybe different things that you plan to do so that you can dole them out through time. You know, like maybe if, if you're at an event like that where you can work with some guitars or some amps that's two videos that you can make out of that yeah yeah or just documenting your day you know like um a lot can happen in those days a lot did happen um i even tried daily vlogging a little bit at nam this year because i didn't really have any reason to be there for the first time because i ended up working for sure microphones so the last few years i've been sort of a bit more um on the business end rather than just being an artist so this was my first year where I was independent and um, just there for fun and just hanging out with friends in a little Airbnb and yeah I just tried daily vlogging but I, I managed three videos in three days but after that I was like no I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the 2017 NAM, and um, for people who don't know I forget what the what are the letters stand for? I think it's National Association of Music Merchants. So um, much more sort of music product based rather than, you know, music industry based. So it's sort of for the unaware, the people who aren't familiar with NAM, it's sort of like Comic-Con for musicians. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a perfect way to describe it. <laughs> right. A lot of musicians are going there and checking out new gear and finding out new gear and they'll have famous people show up and mm. uh and demo new gear and uh at that particular one was that was when you got to ask john mayer question mm -hmm. yes yes and um <laughs> that little laugh uh, that you gave was because it ended up being an inadvertent controversial situation that you've talked about and we don't have to talk about at length here um i had i saw that video a couple of years ago before i was aware of who you were and had no idea it was you when i did find out about you and then in one yeah. of those deep dives into your youtube channel i found out that that was you and you talked about it and you were saying it mm -hmm. wasn't really what you meant the the my take back at the time was wrong too when i originally saw the video i thought you were wondering if there was going to be a guitar that fits uh like a woman's form and ever since that and that's not what you're asking but ever since that video i have thought Oh, like has the industry just totally overlooked women? And it's it's are is this mm -hmm. you know like I was thinking of it that way, but earlier this year, you did an interview with Guitar World where you talked about how record labels told you to put down the guitar, uh, which mm -hmm. I'm glad that you did not listen to that ridiculous advice. Um, <laughs> that's too. not even advice; it's so bad. Um, but I, I'm not surprised to hear that a woman got that kind of pushback uh, in in the music industry. Uh, was that the sort of thing you were trying to get at when you asked John Mayer that question? I think I was searching for something that 
no one really knows the answer to. And I was very inexperienced. And by inexperienced, I mean, I had no experience in terms of like interviewing anyone. Right. That was your first time. (laughs) That was technically like my first interview, which is obviously it wasn't an interview. Um, You just accidentally were at the front. Yeah. Well, I was purposefully at the front. I managed to sneak into that press conference. I had no right in being there. Um, Managed to I heard John Mayer was in the building and I was like, oh, my God, wherever he is, I just need to be in that room. I need to see him in person and uh, managed to persuade the the PRS staff who I'm now friends with. Um, uh, I, I persuaded, I was like, hey, look, I'm here. Um, I'm a YouTuber, budding YouTuber. Maybe I missed out the budding. Um, I'm a YouTuber. I'm an artist. I would love to be in that press conference. And they kind of made it happen. It was a bit more of an exclusive event than like some of their more recent ones, especially when John Mayer's turned up. Um, and I was because I'm I'm five foot six so um I was kind of aware that if I was at the back I literally wouldn't see him because it was all just obviously a room floor it wasn't staged um and so I was like oh man I'm not gonna get a good shot how am I gonna I need to document this whole thing everyone loves John Mayer on YouTube or or they love to hate him whatever he's um you know he's gonna spark an opinion Mm -hmm. document this this will be great for the vlog the fact that I'm just in the room and then because I was at the front, uh, because I asked some cameramen, I think it was actually the Sweetwater guys, um, and asked them, I was like, hey, do you mind if I just like sneak in this little bit here uh, where there is no one else standing, but your tripods are, are like taking up that sort of room? And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And I was, I was sort of balanced my camera on um, the kind of like gate, not gate, what do I mean? The sort of like- I know um, what you mean, that little barrier. Barrier, little barrier. And uh, then he came out and they spoke about the amp and he played guitar um, for like 45 minutes or something. I can't remember. Maybe it was half an hour. And then Paul Reed Smith just went, well, this is a press conference. So any questions? And my hand just like, I don't even remember making that decision. Just put my hand up. I had no right in doing so. There were like qualified uh, press people right next to me with press passes for NAM. And there I was. Um, But yeah, I, I think I was just sort of, asking him i was like how does how do i really i sort of i should have said how do i separate myself and uh show up as an artist in this sort of dominated field of the music industry especially as a guitarist how do you make yourself stand out and instead i was like how do women and i was just like what am i saying right now and then he just looked so nervous because (laughs) yeah i think his i think his response was that is an absolute minefield of a question yes (laughs) like right in his from his position yeah yeah oh my god if you heard that like you're there trying to look pretty as john mayer and trying to come across as a nice guy and then this woman just goes how do women uh you know how are they going to be represented and he's like i don't know i'm not a woman and it's like obviously he wasn't going to know the answer and then he he did misunderstand even though i wasn't uh very eloquent with my question i didn't ask the question that he then answered either so it was just misunderstanding miscommunication but he did come out with some cool stuff and he went on this sort of seven minute not rant but he sort of just talked around the subject just trying to trying to make sure he didn't come across as an arsehole right talking about the rolling stone interview and stuff so yeah i just didn't mean to do that and um yeah i mean i met 
I met him again in not this year. Was it this year or was it last year? Must have been last year. Yeah, I mean they all blur into one. I know. Um, I met him last year and I just again ha- didn't have a great interaction with him and it wasn't his fault again it was me um sort of like hoping that he'd remember me and he pretended to remember me like he was like yeah yeah I think I uh, answered your question really well and I was like well no you didn't you misunderstood the whole thing <laughs> and then and then I just kind of like backed myself in a corner I was like what am I doing trying to meet my idols when they're literally surrounded by people waiting for a selfie like there's no way you're going to have a good interaction with someone like it would be much cooler for me to be able to talk around these subjects and interview him and to be honest it's still one of the motivations of like uh hosting some of the interviews i've hosted on the channel because it's just like it's an education in in terms of talking to somebody that you might be a fan of or Um. um you know just learning to think a bit more on your feet about what you're trying to say and what you're trying to ask. And then not just sort of asking a list of questions, but um, just, you know, picking up on, on some of the nuances they say. And I think to interview someone like John Mayer, um, who he is very intelligent, Mm -hmm. but sometimes like he, I feel like he wants to sound more intelligent than he needs to. And I feel like I'd say that to him. I'd be like, look, some of the stuff you say online, like I feel like I'm well-read and intelligent and, um, you know, I I can't understand what you're saying. So um, can we just backtrack on some subjects that you've shared an opinion on? And can we like talk around them a bit more rather than, you know, just providing a platform for him to give a lecture? There's one interview where he actually kind of reveals himself a bit more with, I think it was Bobby Bones. Bobby but, Bones um, was a very good one. And then there is one, yeah. another one um, with Beats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another really good one and and revealing one. I'm a huge Dunbeer fan, too. So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, anyone in the guitar community who, like, knows what's right for them is usually a fan of John Mayer, whether or not they care to admit it, because they know that his, like, guitar playing is phenomenal. He's, like, a student of so many different genres. Right. Um, His personal life might be not be the best and like some of his history might not be the best but i mean look at any musician from the last 50 years and show me someone with a clean slate and oh for sure i'd be shocked (laughs) so you know whatever yeah we're not here to defend or uh, criticize them but also Mm -hmm. at nam you don't have an opportunity to do a follow-up question to say like well that's not what i meant i mean this a sit-down interview is a good opportunity for that and uh, hopefully you will get that I hope he goes on Anderton's as well. He said that he's he's interested in that. I know. I imagine that will happen first because they, they have kind of alluded to that actually being a possibility. But yeah, it will be... I mean, he's a busy guy and then he's also super, super famous and then he also doesn't need us. <laughs> you know? So it, I think it's one of those things where it's like you have to catch the person on a good day um, and you have to like talk to their people and sort of just yeah. like keep at it which i'm not trying to do at the moment i'm just trying to like do my own thing you're doing your own thing yeah Yeah. when you started doing your own thing with this youtube page what was the goal career-wise was it to get yourself out there as a singer songwriter or was it something else i think it was just pure independence um i think that was the goal and still is the goal and is very much the situation like I, i i feel very fortunate that I can control every aspect of my career. Um, 
to a certain extent, obviously, there are some opportunities that are just like outrageous and you have to say yes to them and, you know, they have their own little lifespan. But um, I think what people forget, particularly musicians, is that no one cares as much as you. So everyone else has their own stuff to do, whether they're a record label, whether they're a management team. Um, everyone has their own agenda and that's not a negative thing. So you kind of have to protect yourself and um, know that you're pretty much the only one that really, really cares about what you're going to be doing and what you're doing day to day. So how how do you put that into practice? And for me, luckily, you know, I've mentioned the record labels. So it wasn't like I was going to be signed by those record labels. It was me hustling, literally using LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, probably like 2012 LinkedIn when people actually responded to messages <laughs> um, and just emailing like literally the heads of record labels. Like I still have them in my phone book and I still I still bump into them sometimes and they're like, oh, how's it going? And I'm like, it's going great. Thank you for that advice. And thank you for like not signing me. Thank you. <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I should literally thank them now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just wasn't ready I didn't have a management team. So quite a lot of record labels just don't touch you unless you have a manager. Um, The managers that did try and come on board, I just always, I mean, I probably just bored them with like, hey, what's going on here? What's going on here? What's going on here? Are you earning your 20%? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." And I'm just like a little businesswoman, not realizing I was like interested in business. Um, And yeah, ever since I, uh I, I met a, I met a friend at that first NAM and he kind of became a bit of a mentor and I didn't really see him that often but one time we went out on a bike ride and he just sort of said to me he was like what do you want because I was giving him all these other like business pitches I was like well maybe I'll start my own record label and I'll help musicians and I'll run a YouTube channel where I like even started some of these things and then he was just like yeah but what do you want and I was like well I want to be a singer-songwriter and he was like well do that do that like do all those ideas, but relate them all back to yourself and build your own thing, because that's when you're going to have more leverage to actually be able to help other artists. Um, so just do that. And ever since then, I'm like, oh, always be streamlining, like always just be seeing your priority and like what makes sense to you. And you just don't have to worry about a team. What I like about your YouTube channel is that it's diverse. I mean, you have uh, different kinds of videos on there. You have your music uh, and you're your covering music, interviews, lessons, uh, vlogging. Many YouTubers are just doing one of those things, which is fine, obviously, but it's cool that you're using it for such various things and it is educational for people and in focusing that way you are already helping people uh in so many ways what made you want to approach it that way Uh, obviously your your mentor gave you that advice but when you started taking all these different approaches was it just to streamline everything or was it because of the freedom you had to do it um i guess a mixture because i i think i'm i'm probably not the most focused person so even though I'm, I see myself as a singer-songwriter, um, I don't just sit down and write all the time. Um, whereas I know other friends of mine really just pursue the craft of songwriting and they don't want to do video making. They don't want to do their own marketing. They don't want to manage their own schedule. <laughs> like They just want someone else to take care of all that stuff. Um, 
And some of them have been incredibly successful because of that focus. But for me, I was like, well, I'd much rather have a slow growth um, sort of channel and career and be able to adjust at every step of the way and also show people that I'm not just one thing because I'm not just interested in one thing. I'm interested in so many different things. And I think the majority of people now are. Um, and the whole idea of being a polymath um, is so desirable to so many people because it creates so much freedom. So if you are a photographer or a filmmaker or a musician or, um, you know, simply just an instrumentalist, of, you know, in one field, you have to now learn how to make videos. You have to learn how to talk to camera. You have to learn to write scripts. Um, you have to learn about social media. You have to learn about business. You have to manage your business. Um, so I don't know. It just sort of felt so natural to me. And I've always been interested in all those other things around music that when this sort of job started forming and I started seeing other creators that never really had a way of earning money before um so like photographers like I know obviously there are incredibly successful photographers but then there are also a lot of not successful photographers just like filmmakers you know there are very um small amount of movies made a year really in comparison to how many filmmakers are out there same with musicians like the amount of people actually in the top chart um is it's very finite in comparison to how many musicians are pursuing you know those one or two positions so but YouTube just seemed like a platform where these guys were just like making making stuff all the time and just putting it out and just having control and showing you behind the scenes and showing you tutorials and um, showing you the finished product and just, you know, teaching. And um, yeah, I just I was just like, whoa, that's that's what I want to do. That's the thing. And I didn't expect it to work. Um but I almost didn't mind if it didn't because I was like, well, that just makes me happy. Right. So do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do things that interest you. But also it seems like, or at least what I'm hearing is that these other things that you're interested in that you're doing, uh, that you're learning so that you can do music and do the YouTube and everything else that you do, it sort of informs your artistry you know and your creativity it's sort of like oh, you did a video that i love this uh, beethoven's daily schedule where you adopted <laughs> that for a week yeah and watching that it sounds like he was doing a lot of things that supported in some way his artistry and it sounds like that's what you're getting out of doing the things that you're doing i even shared that video actually in our newsletter that you did yeah well Thank you for that. Yeah. You're very welcome. Yeah, I've just been researching establishing routines. <laughs> and uh, uh -huh. since I'd oh, already yeah. I'd heard about you and then I saw that, I was like, wait, I need to see this. This sounds very interesting. And mm. it was. And it was it was cool. I mean, it's just another type of video that you're doing. But would you say that these sort of things are also helping in other ways than just getting your name out there, but also helping keep your creative juices flowing? Oh, most definitely. Like, um, I'm actually working on a video right now about the KISS principle, the keep it simple, stupid, mm -hmm. because I have a habit of, you know, you you want to do all these different things, but you only have a finite amount of time, right? So it it is about constantly streamlining and constantly going back to what's important. And something like the Beethoven routine video was like, I didn't just want to, I, I don't just want to make... Um, 
music and videos for the next year i want to be able to make them for the next 50 years Mm. and i never want to go back to a normal day job uh, of which i had many um just because it just didn't it just didn't satisfy me and i found this thing now which i'm so adamant to hold on to so whatever i can learn from other people whether they're from this century or a few centuries ago um i i just think there are ways of being able to put some things in place so that you can consistently create and i don't think creativity needs to be such like a a magical ethereal thing mm-hmm. when so many successful people just continuously create like it's it's just a you know sit down and do the work kind of thing rather than sit around and wait for something to strike you um and yeah i just think as soon as as soon as I learn that, I need to share that. Um, and as soon as sharing that, you you just see so many other people being like, man, I really want to take this sort of thing into account. And I want to, you know, I need to go for walks after I, I work. I need to, I, you know, I need to take myself away from my working space, not just sit at my desk all day and like expect stuff to happen. Like you need to go and see things. You need to be inspired by stuff and you need to exercise and you need to be healthy. And then you need to educate yourself constantly. Um, The most successful people out there are are constantly reading around their subjects and learning more information. And I think those are the things that make you happy much more than having a successful business that's eating up all your time and, you know, earning you however much money. if you can't take a step back and sort of think, right, how is this money or this business going to provide me freedom just to be able to keep doing this? You're going to get yourself in a very, very tricky situation. And I think I found myself even slipping there um, because I keep chasing stuff and I keep getting, I'm quite like a competitive person, um, but I, but there's no one to compete against now. Like the, I, I don't see anyone doing exactly the same thing as me. And I, I, you know, the same for other people on YouTube, like they're all doing different things and they all have their niches and that's the beauty of it. And that's why we're all friends. Um, there have been moments where people are like, oh my God, uh, you know, you're in a video with Paul Davids, you're in a video with Leo Racchioli, you're, you know, in with the Anderton's guys and, uh, all these things. And it's like, because you meet these guys and there's literally no competition there. Um, they do very different stuff and, that's brilliant because like then you guys collaborate and you both build each other up and I don't think there's ever been a situation in the music industry beforehand where that's actually been as uh, authentic and natural as it is today because it's always been sort of behind the scenes of like management record labels collaborating artists to earn those guys more money rather than necessarily you know and then artists are too scared to collaborate with people across labels or you know that person might be too similar to them too similar sounding like i've just realized yeah there's enough room for absolutely everybody so give them all the answers because i mean they're not going to take me any further just by me holding on to them you know it's just like i can put them into practice all i want but actually the beauty of this whole thing is like if you learn something just share it with someone else and then they might learn something or they might raise their profile enough that they end up being a collaborator um, and they might bring something new to the table. So it's just like, yeah, it's just one of the things I've just found myself being like, okay, that's the thing that's important, not um, how many subscribers and not how much 
money you're earning or how many hits you get. It's just that's actually it just doesn't matter anymore. So um getting a bit deep, but you know, that's what I'm thinking I love about that. right now. <laughs> well that's what's inspiring to me. I, I'm inspired by people who do different things because it's what it interests them. And mm-hmm. also when they don't get caught up in how can I be the best or number one or the most successful? Because I think that is a recipe in most cases that is going to be a recipe for destruction because not everyone's going to be at the top. I mean, that's just not how life works in any industry, not even just the entertainment industry, um, but kind of especially in the in the entertainment industry, um, because there there are charts that gauge these things. Um mm-hmm. And I've said plenty of times that nobody, when someone says they're going to go into medicine, people don't discourage them. They don't say, oh, you'll never make it. You'll never be as famous Mm -hmm. as Dr. Seuss or or somebody, you know, like some well-known actual doctor. They don't do that, but they'll do that to a musician. They'll say that to actors. And it's because, I guess, because there are charts for how well a musician is doing. And it is really hard to get there, but it's also really hard to be a doctor. It's really hard to be successful at anything. So why not focus your efforts and your energy and your life on trying to be successful at things you actually enjoy? That seems like the thing that's most important because that's going to be easier to stomach. (laughs) I mean, people people working jobs that they hate just because... And it's yeah. taking them away from the things that interest them. That is really depressing for those people. And I and you know, and success is also different based on the person. You know, you're not worried about. You're not saying like, how can I get top of the charts? You're saying, what are the things that I want to do, and let me do them. And mm-hmm. you're doing well. Well, and the the whole irony of like people sharing their opinion on career plans, especially, you know, whether you're at school and then university. And I know a lot of disillusioned doctors right, um, right. because a few of my friends have, uh, uh, you know, they followed that path of academia and because they were intelligent, they were um, luckily, luckily no one forced me to be a doctor. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think anyone saw that in me in terms of that, that, that caliber of uh um, knowledge and um, yeah I mean it's it's just yeah what do you want um, because now obviously like it takes hard work like every bit of success every successful person has worked hard so if that person is willing to if they're wanting to be a musician or wanting to be an actor they're willing to work hard but at, it's also like they have to be open enough to be able to not just follow a path where it really is closed off. Like being an actor to me, it just feels terrifying. And I've been surrounded by them um, because of uh, working in musical theater and then university. And the ones who have done really, really well are the ones that worked hard at a slightly alternative route. So the ones who went down the comedy line, um, the writing line, and then the sketch show, and then improv, and all these other things that aren't like the traditional acting route. But now you see everyone coming out of these other avenues. Um, I mean, you must see it too in in, in the comedy world. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what, who who was it that said um, 
the irony about about being a comedian is that you end up doing anything but comedy because you end up getting hired as an actor because I can't remember. It's like I can't remember. I feel like it's like Joe Rogan or something. It's true, right? I mean. <laughs> Uh, I think the popular quote that I keep hearing is kind of like the antithesis of that. It's, you know, everyone likes to mention Bill Hicks saying, if you're making money outside of comedy, then you're not a real comedian or something like that. But, you know, that is not what most comedians do because they all end up acting in something, especially if they, you know, they have to, if they get their own show, they get a sketch yeah. show, you know, if yeah. Dave Chappelle is also an actor by uh, the necessity of, having his own sketch show at one point. And you have done some, you've done some voiceover work and that was, <laughs> you know, outside of what you were probably expecting four and a half years ago, but that's an opportunity that came to you. And why would you say no to something that sounds interesting and would be fun like that? Yeah. I, I mean, that was my sort of rationale behind it. When I got the email, I was like, well, I mean, he wants me, he doesn't want an actor. So he must know, he must know what I do and how I sound. And I guess those are the best things to be part of because like there's, there's no CV there. There's no resume. Um, you, you don't need a headshot for that kind of job. But I think I was talking to someone who was interested in getting into cartoon work. And, um, and then I was talking to an actor friend of mine and I was literally like, go on YouTube because YouTube is insane. Like if you start working hard, you never know who's watching. And Matt Malero, who created 12 Ounce Mouse, which um, was picked up for a third season on the Cartoon Network on Adult Swim. Um, he was he just happened to be a fan of Dire Straits. Um, and he, he was like searching them one evening and he came across my collaboration with Leo. And then he saw my stuff and he was like, well, she was willing to be a bit like, funny there and to take you know not take herself too seriously and then she does these serious interviews and then she gives advice and then she plays music and she sings and plays guitar and that just seemed to be what he wanted for for that role um and yeah like i just there was no way i was gonna say no um right. i was just like oh i'll learn on the job you know i'm not an actor so <laughs> i mean it's your fault if i'm terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah they can coach you um, you know, you're used uh, to yeah. speaking because of your YouTube. <laughs> yeah, well, he wasn't asking me to put on an accent other than my own accent. So that helped. Um, yeah, I wasn't being asked to do, you know, incredible hardcore acting, of which I do see as, you know, complete art form. And I'm in awe of um, serious actors. But yeah, for that thing, it was just so fun and um, challenging, definitely. Like it was, I think I'm not really insecure as a musician because I just know what I want to do and what I want to sound like but when you're on the, on the other end of someone asking you to repeat a line a few times the insecurity does creep in when it's like oh my god am I getting it wrong this many times my god um but yeah I mean that came from however many hours of putting out videos um when I wasn't really earning a penny from it so it's kind of like it's just that thing. It's just, it's the internet now, you know, just go on it, do, do your thing, be authentic. And no one can, no one can tell you to do any different. It's, it's incredible. It is. It is. And that is, I think the best advice to give people is go do your thing. Mm -hmm. And who, and you're right. Who knows who's watching? Who knows what that's going to turn into? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you, you and your mentor were, were biking. You're a pretty avid biker. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I like cycling. I'm not very good at it, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so a friend of mine who's actually a, a guitarist, I asked him if he had any questions that he would want. He was like, oh, Mary's going to be on? That's awesome. But he was interested in your cycling. He was curious as to what you love about biking. Mm. I mean, for me, I, I can't understand why people don't love it um but then i talk through it and that i you know i know that people just think i'm insane for wanting to go uphill wanting to go downhill um you know going uphill for a long time like some of the climbs i've uh sort of got under my belt whether i'd be able to do them right now uh, is a different matter but um i i went to the alps last summer and just spent four days just cycling uphill alone um and then yeah, like going downhill at 50 miles an hour, like there's nothing better other than performing on stage. I don't feel like there's a bigger high for me. Um, and I don't know, it's it's sort of like an escape thing. You can go out for your on your bike for four hours. You can take food with you. Um, you can manage your energy for like up to 12 hours and you can keep cycling for that long a time and you can cover 100 miles. And that sort of exploration aspect of it you know, I, I wouldn't be the one to go and hike for miles and miles. I don't want to walk. I want to be able to, you know, freewheel sometimes. Um, so there's that, that aspect and just being able to cover more terrain. Um, the landscape. And then I don't, obviously, I don't listen to music because that can be dangerous. Um, so just going out and it's one of those things where like you can't do anything else while you're doing it. You have to be very, very present um, when riding a bike. And that's kind of for someone who's thinking up ideas um, quite consistently all the time. Exercise for me is my is my break from that, where I literally have to focus on what is in front of me, whether it's cycling up a hill, whether it's picking up something heavy and putting down something heavy. Like it just takes a lot of my concentration. And um, yeah, when I don't do it now, it uh it just affects me. It it really does. And yeah, cycling is just, it's extraordinary. I need to buy a new bike. I know that's not actually necessary to the whole me getting better at cycling thing, but my bike is a little bit old now and just sort of is a little bit tired. Um, no pun intended. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been thinking about that, but uh, I've got some adventures in mind um, coming up but I'll just go off and do them and then tell people once I've done them rather than I don't sort of social media that stuff I sometimes show snippets of me cycling when I've done it but um but yeah it's sort of a nice break so that's that's my answer for why I enjoy cycling so much oh that's nice yeah and also you know I, I imagine there are a lot of direct and indirect benefits to kind of turning your brain off for a little bit to your creativity and focusing on this because it allows you to be present and also gives your brain a rest but that having to be present probably also helps you musically you know when you're trying to find something uh, when you're writing or when you're on stage and you're performing and there's a lot of stuff going on it can help you be present and focus mm -hmm. in a different way yeah and it's it's one of those things that I talk to friends and when they're sort of saying and obviously mental health issues are a, a, a real thing and and different for everybody. But when someone who I know well um, comes to me and it's just like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm feeling a bit miserable. I'm like, well, what have you eaten today? And then they talk about 
eating absolute crap and then I'm like oh have you been outside have you gone out exercising and they're like no I haven't done that in days I'm like okay how you know you're just like made up of water right like we're not we're not all that different and exercise and uh staying healthy um it just dramatically changes a human so go do those things and then see if you're still feeling rough afterwards but obviously i know it's so difficult when people can't even get themselves out of bed and all that sort of situation but just some of my close friends where i know the sort of situation behind their life um it just it just brings so much joy to people and it's so easy to forget it and get run down and feel like work needs to be done right there and then when actually step away go out for an hour or four whatever mm-hmm. and then come back and you'll just be a different person um and you know i can only speak for myself but that's definitely the case with me so uh i've recently gone through a very like a heavy a hefty work period and um neglected my my normal sort of healthy habits and just felt awful so I just kind of like I feel the need to share that sort of thing and just remind people like it's a constant battle to um, just when you're feeling down, remember the things that make you feel good and go do them. Don't just get yourself in a cycle that where you spin out of control because I've been there, too. Mm. Yeah, it's just constant mental health management, really being creative or being in any field. Right. Being out in nature also helps. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the weather recently has been miserable, so I've been miserable. <laughs> right. There have been like 50 mile an hour to like 90 mile an hour winds and stuff. So like, I don't really want to go out on my bike then because I really will not enjoy cycling in that kind of weather. But um, maybe uh, maybe when the world opens up a bit more, um, I can go on more adventures. Hmm. Have you had a, is there a favorite bike ride that you uh, can really pinpoint? There are, there, there are a few sort of uh, situations that I've sort of like overcome through bike rides that have sort of left more of a mark than the pretty scenery. Um, so, yeah, like I, I climbed up Sacalobra, um, which is like a famous sort of Tour de France training route uh, in Mallorca. And that was quite a few years ago, actually. Um, I think I even did a Tuesday Talks episode from Mallorca. Um and it was just a long, it's, it was a trip I just sort of waited to do for years and years and years and finally got to do it. And it was an hour of solid uphill climbing, but like between five and 12% gradients. <laughs> and I got to the end of that and it was like the biggest physical challenge I'd ever done at that time. Um, uh, although I'd sort of done longer rides, they'd been a lot slower and a lot flat. Um, and this was just a very, and the heat and everything about it sort of still just, yeah, I can just still picture it sort of, I can almost picture like every corner, um, because I was spending a lot of time looking at those corners, cycling up very, very slowly and, uh, with cars like coming up past you and then cyclists going downhill, like it was just, it was a bit of a mad situation and we got to the top and I was with some friends and got to the top. I was like 15 minutes slower than them. They're absolute pros. Um, and I was just like, what the hell was that? That was, I, I've never been sort of so angry whilst exercising because it was so painful, but then so rewarding and just like, I'm going to and like gritting your teeth the whole time. And 
I know that sounds insane to so many people, but it was just so awesome once you, you know, <laughs> got up the hill, literally. Um, so that one is definitely one of my favorites. And then I, I took it a little bit easier on myself last year. Um, but yeah. How about you? Do you do you do any exercise or do you have a favorite thing that you do? Well, when I was exercising regularly, what I would do, I would just go to the gym and I'd get on. It's like an elliptical, but it has more full range of motion. Mm -hmm. I would just get on that for an hour. I sort of had a reaction to that, that like you have to cycling, to being out and focusing on something else. I could just sort of drift off and, and it was really good for my mind. Uh, to be able to do that and my body. Um, mm -hmm. And then a couple of days, I would just do whatever workout the trainers there gave me uh, to work on. Now that COVID is going on, I haven't been at the gym at all. And I've been struggling to have mm -hmm. a regular workout routine at home. But there's no online video I've seen that would satisfy me the same way. So I don't know what to do mm -hmm. at this point. <laughs> it's really hard. I hate working out at home. Um, I bought one of those boxing sort of speed ball bags that are like they're freestanding and it sort of will hit you in the face if you don't hit it in the right time. Uh -huh. And that's been like the best thing to have in my flat, like my very, very small flat. Um, uh, just for like... <laughs> I guess anger management, that makes me sound awful again. But like <laughs> just during everything, like it's, su it's such good fitness. Are they going to open up gyms anytime soon? Because they've opened up here now. I don't know. Um, uh. If you go to other parts of America, there are gyms that are open um, mm -hmm. where people are spread out a little bit more. But since New York City was the epicenter of yeah. this, um, it's going to be much more slow going here. I, I haven't heard anything from my gym. But I was uh, last month, or no, no, earlier this month, was looking for just a kettlebell. You know, I was just like, what can I find? They're all like sold out online. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I can't even I do that. There's body weight stuff you can do. But again, it's just not, when, when I get a playlist in my ear and have a plan, mm -hmm. that's when I can sort of zone out in a way that's good for me. But I, I haven't found that, uh, I haven't found that yet. And I don't know if I'll be able to since I don't have equipment. Yeah. So we've reached the end of the episode. And one thing I love is in your video, you, you have some videos of showing how to play a song on mm -hmm. different skill levels, like beginner and intermediate and advanced, which is great. And I've never seen anyone do that before. My guitar is not in yet, but when it comes in, I want to get back into a routine of practicing. But without having a dedicated teacher or anything, I don't know what sort of approach to take to practicing. So what can you give me and other listeners who are maybe starting out uh, as far as a routine on on how to practice and get better and actually see progress. Don't commit to too much time a day. So don't promise yourself that you're going to do an hour um, because no one has an hour anymore. So just literally say to yourself, right, I'm going to do five minutes. I'm going to sit down with my guitar in my lap and play for five minutes. Um, if that's just working on one chord, great. If that's just messing around, perfect. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, and this is obviously for people who've sort of, you know, seen a YouTube video of how to play. There's there's so many free, there's a, like, a whole library of just like free content for beginning guitar. Um, but the biggest thing is just take it out of its case and leave it somewhere where you actually sit um, so that you pick it up. Because 
out of sight, out of mind happens to me all the time. That's why I have all my guitars out in my studio. Um, so that when I just feel that urge, I just pick one up. I don't have to think about it and just, yeah, limit all the, any friction, um, and just make it as, as easy as possible for yourself. But don't worry too much about how other people are playing. Just find some songs that you absolutely adore and, uh, search for a, a tutorial on that song and just learn it and just have a lot of fun. Songs are the best way to see a lot of improvement very quickly um, because you sort of have a well-rounded approach. Like you learn, a, a, you know, the beginning, middle and an end of something and you can then perform that and then people are more encouraging. Um, whereas just learning scales, that's no fun. That's no fun for anyone. Um, right. They're good to learn later on when you're trying to develop a specific skill. But at first, just just learn songs and, and uh, accompany YouTube videos and artists and just play along and just rewind. And well, you don't have to rewind anymore. You can just refresh, can't you? <laughs> I had to rewind constantly tapes and stuff. Um, but yeah, just just take the pressure off and then you'll actually stick at it because I do it all the time. I'm like, I'm going to do an hour a day today and I'm I'm you know, paid to make music now. Um, and I still fail. I still fail all the time. So I just have to uh, keep it simple for myself too. Excellent. There it is. <laughs> there we go. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Mary. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It was so great having her on. Really loved that chat. And since we talked, my guitar came in, that beautiful guitar. I've been practicing it using her advice. I'm also going to take some of the classes that she offers on her website, maryspender.com. You should do that too. Also check out youtube.com slash maryspender and find her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at maryspender. And also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at There It Is Pod. I'm on Instagram at Jason Picks and Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes. And don't forget to take my class, my online stand-up class is being offered through the Alchemy Comedy Theater at alchemycomedy.com slash classes. Go to thereitispod.com to find out more about us. Hey, we've got links to all of this in the bio. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 